the TV podcast, we are discussing Game of Thrones and not those other shows that also happen in the TV podcast. They're not as good. Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> I'm Monty Ashley, and I'm here once again with Brian Hamilton. Hello, Brian. How's it going? I fight and die for your glory, oh glorious Monty. Tonight's episode was called The Dance of Dragons, which is very much like the title of a book I never finished reading. Yeah, when I saw that, I was thinking, you know, this is going to be a big, big, big episode. I know nothing about why the book itself is called Dance with Dragons or Dance of Dragons, but hmm, this doesn't seem to be the reason that the book is called right. that, especially because we got Feast for Crows last week. Uh, well, the book is happens to be right here on my desk, so I can report that it is A Dance with Dragons, uh, but the title of this episode is The Dance of Dragons. And as you know, the article and I'm going to say participle, although that might be wrong, (laughs) make all the difference. As it does. I mean, there's I I, I don't know. The way that the show has been going on in terms of the books, especially after listening to your episode with Jason last week, is um, it seems to be going a little bit more off the rails than most people would really prefer. So (laughs) who knows? Maybe the actual Dance of Dragons book will have something better than this up its sleeve at some point. Something better than this. So you did not like this episode? Mm, we'll get to that when we get to the end of the episode, or uh, like the last half or so of the episode, but I mm, did not like it that much. All right. Well, uh, let's start with Stennis' <laughs> encampment, which is not a place on the map, although presumably the camera zooms past it at some point. Yeah, it's one of those places where, you know, it's you know it's got to be there, and they constantly move. You can't really visit Stannis in a stationary location this season. Yeah. Uh, it starts with the camp being on fire. And then Stannis taking a rather rush, a uh, rather rough take on the guards, saying, "Find out the truth and then hang them." He just, yeah, it was, um, it was intense. Like from the very start, Stannis is having n- none of anybody's excuses. He won't admit it, but I think he's probably a little bummed out to be stuck out in the snow with. 20 men coming in just setting fire to his camp whenever they feel like first of all we know uh what why uh ramsey needed 20 good men last week it was to set the baratheon encampment on fire which is uh well now we know that but secondly what got me about this um what got me about the scene is that you're right we do see that he is getting a little bit desperate he's really miffed that he's stuck out in the uh, wilderness like this and as we'll see later he uh he's trying to write to Jon Snow to uh to get some supplies for him and thematically it's interesting that they're using fire against him because i would have thought with melisandre on his side stannis would be the element of fire attacking the north which would use the element of ice against him but it's possible that uh, Ramsey has no regard for symbolism. Another reason yeah. to dislike the guy. <laughs> That's very true. He is not very big on subtlety. He's all about, you know, the big bombastic things. And sometimes he may not even have that in his wheelhouse. He might just kind of say, okay, I'm just going to do this now. Um, it's interesting that you bring up the symbolism of the fire because the first shot of the episode is actually Melisandre uh, looking out and being, wait, why is there fire? Why is there fire? She is uncomfortable about fire, which is something that I'd never expect from her. Well, it's possible that that's one of the terrors that the night is full of that she's always going on about. <laughs> um, I was very excited in the second Stannis scene 
and this is pretty nerdy of me, but Stannis has a little war table in his tent, and I always loved the giant war game table he had in his <laughs> castle. Not just because it looks like it would be great to play Risk on, but because it actually showed where armies were at the time. It wasn't that useful this time, because there's just his army here and Winterfell over there, but I appreciated knowing that at least somebody is worried about where everybody is at this point. So I have to imagine he has scouts or something out there to try to find out where these people are, or maybe it's just a projection of where people are based on older uh, you know, data that they might have found. I don't know. What I'm wondering, who the hell moves that between encampments? That's got to be a massive thing for people to move on horses or on a <laughs> why am i escape uh not a trailer because it didn't have a trailer but like on a big a wagon covered yeah a wagon like a big covered wagon or something that's got to be impossible to move well you know you got to do what you got to do they have horses <laughs> they have fewer horses now but one of them was on fire which was uh very upsetting yeah. that was a very weird shot that's... to see <laughs> who sets a horse on fire i bet that I was know, Ramsey. Right? Or um, whoever directed Ben-Hur, who uh, loved horses, obviously. Uh, So later Uh. we get, um, in the same encampment, we get the Onion Knight talking to uh, Stannis about moving back to Castle Black for a little bit to um, get supplies. And he may have an ulterior motive for getting the Onion Knight out of his encampment. Yeah, because the Onion Knight is the only one with actual morality in his whole army. He's the only one that seems to feel that it's a bad idea to jumping ahead a bit, sacrifice your daughter. He's the only one that you might say has layers like an onion. Yes. Ah, (laughs) good one. Yeah. Um, No, that scene, my favorite thing about that was seeing Stannis having to be like, he knows he has to be humble to ask someone who is, I guess, as relatively low in society as Castle Black uh, to get him supplies and horses and men um and i like how he kind of writes them an iou to say yeah well you'll send me all of this stuff now but when i'm king mm, let me tell you you'll have all the men you need yeah i i will say that if i were castle black i would not take that offer seriously me neither. I mean, he's, we've talked a lot about this at this point. He's just kind of a guy trying to get his uh, act together and trying to become king. There's always a chance he's going to lose that he won't admit to, and he'll go to ridiculous, ridiculous lengths to succeed. But he, there's a chance he'll lose, regardless of all the stuff he does. Well, there's a great chance at this point. I mean, most of his army appears to be with him now. Let's say he finally gets around to attacking Winterfell and wins. He still, that takes forever because it's a siege. He takes a bunch of casualties. And now he's in no better shape than uh, Rob was when Rob started attacking King's Landing several seasons ago. Mm-hmm. No, it's, um, it, it's weird. It's almost like, you know, going to attack Russia. No one has succeeded at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then he uh, gives his daughter a toy and talks nice to her and basically in my opinion tricks her into saying things like is there any way i can help Uh, and then and then uh we awarded him the yep i awarded him the father of the year award a couple episodes ago and i'm gonna have to take that away his uh he won't be drinking coffee out of that mug anymore won't he yep 
Jesus, I this show goes to ridiculous, ridiculous lengths sometimes. And we've talked about this before, how sometimes these plot devices seem a little over the top in terms of, you know, why do this for the sake of a simple plot? Uh, We get a lot of really heart-wrenching moments in this episode, and... I feel like it's even worse because like it's all of the worst things that Game of Thrones ever has to offer compounded on each other. We have the burning at the stake, which is always a miserable scene to watch, as we learned earlier in this season. We have a mother losing a child. We have a father sacrificing her child. We have Melisandre orchestrating all of this. We have her being the ringmaster of everything. And the shots of her in this episode as the daughters being burned at the stake are, I have in my notes, uh, where is it? Where is it? Um, Melisandre is the new Joffrey, not Ramsay. And Ooh. the difference between Melisandre and Ramsay is that Ramsay has no idea what he's doing. Melisandre is very, very uh, cold and calculating, ironically cold because she's the fire priest, but, you know, Joffrey was somewhere in the middle, and I think Melisandre is on the wrong side of calculating. And here's what I don't get. Remember when she had Gendry, the other blood of the king? Mm Mm-hmm. She only needed his actual blood. She just sucked it out with some leeches and did her ritual with that. He's still alive somewhere. He didn't get burned at the stake. Mm, Maybe it was for the best. I don't know. But oh my God, that. No, this scene really rubbed me the wrong way. Me too. I just wrote down this show is a downer at the end of it. (laughs) Brief aside about downer things. I had to write a paper on uh, Lars von Trier's Antichrist this week for a class. (laughs) Oh, God, this this gave that movie a run for its money. This one scene of uh, I mean, they both involve parents losing children in very gruesome ways. But God, this this scene really uh, it's a downer. It's a downer. (laughs) I will not go into my thoughts on Lars von Trier at the moment, except to say (laughs) I watch movies to be entertained, which I don't think is Mr. Von Trier's goal entirely. (laughs) Mm, can you imagine if Game of Thrones was a Dogma 95 production? <sighs> let's move on. Uh, so what else <laughs> At least I can understand what people are saying in this thing. <laughs> uh, let, jumping off, jumping away from Stannis, stopping at the wall briefly. Very briefly, compared to last episode. Yeah. It looked like people weren't going to be allowed in, especially with their giant. But then they were. Yeah, uh, they let them in, opened the gates, and what have you they're back at castle black that's that's fantastic great um my favorite shot of this sequence was um the shot of Jon snow coming back with all of the wildlings behind him and the um the other castle black guy looking down and it reminds me of the very first episode of game of thrones where entire relationships and things were conveyed with a single look at like a look between two people from a distance and you know something is wrong that was my favorite thing about this uh, sequence. It was yeah. very uh, reminiscent of classic Game of Thrones. I did. I'm not sure if I entirely liked it because it was kind of on the nose, but I liked him making his feelings explicit when he came up to John and said, you have a good heart, Jon Snow, but don't get us all killed. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, everything about Jon Snow is very on the nose. The whole you know nothing is yeah. uh, a little bit too mm, for me. And also, uh, I wrote down here, Ollie, that's the uh, kid, Ollie looks menacingly and forebodingly at John. Ooh. I mean, what uh, can he do? 
Well, I mean, he already killed Egret. Oh yeah, that's right. He was. The, I keep forgetting that was the same kid that killed Egret last season. Yeah, he, he killed Egret because Egret killed his father in front of him. Oh, that was actually on camera. I, every time he brings that up, I thought that was just one of Game of Thrones' things that happened off camera. I, that actually happened? Yeah. Mm. We got to see him and his family being happy. Then all of a sudden there was an arrow in his father and uh, the wildlings, led by Egret and Tormund, roared through and killed everybody. And then Ali uh, was taken to the wall where now he is very unhappy that the wildlings are being taken care of. Mm. Menacingly uh, and forebodingly, he looks at John. <laughs> they should uh, hire you to do all the uh, previously on Game of Thrones recaps at the beginning <laughs> of each episode. <laughs> what else? Uh, um, then there's Dorn, which I don't know why we're spending so much time at, at Dorn. It seems like this is the first time in weeks we've been there, and I was excited to see Jamie again. I was excited to see little things like that, but literally every scene for the past few episodes that they've been in Dorne has been, um, oh, hi, I'm Jamie, I'm here, and I'm here to pick up my sister, or no, I'm sorry, my niece, yes. and um, I'm here to pick up my niece, and you won't let me. Okay. Yep. And they just established that for a few episodes over and over again. Uh, we learned that the Sand Snakes don't necessarily get along. I assume that's because they're sisters. Uh, Bronn... I don't know what happened to Bronn as punishment. It looked like he just got punched. Do you think more happened to him? I I have uh, in my notes, saying Bronn free on one condition. What is it? A punch in the face a few lines down? Like, is is that it? That was the weirdest smash cut Game of Thrones could have done. Yeah. It was something and, that, like, I, I really didn't understand why that was such a big buildup for, um, like, such a small little comedic payoff. Because they establish it yeah. over scenes. And then we, the lady who we barely know, because she's Oberyn's sister slash lover, mm-hmm. seems to say, eh, Bronn's not my problem. And you, you just love your sister like I love my brother. The only thing that stays the same is that we want who we want. And then she's okay with Jamie and Jamie leaving with Tristane and Marcella. I don't I don't really f- feel like this plot achieved anything but just keeping Jamie busy for a few episodes. Not at all. No, I agree, especially when um they spent so much time like almost an entire episode establishing the Sand Snakes and they gave him a really really like I don't want to say on the nose, but a very big sweeping introduction of yes, hi, we are here. We are the Sand Snakes. I'm going to establish to you now everything that we stand for <laughs> and what we are trying to do. And here they are in a jail cell playing hand games and that's all they've done this season. Unless something big happens next episode, which I don't think it will happen. Yeah. I I'm upset we spent this much time with them. I mean I, I kind of liked them. I did not like their fight choreography. I thought that was kind of slow and clunky, but it's always <laughs> nice to see Keisha Castle Hughes. I thought she was great in Whale Rider. Good to know she's mm-hmm. still working. Yeah, no, that's uh it's great that you know they get they get work. They're really cool people. Yeah. What else we've got? Uh is that it in Dorn? Bra- now there's now there's bravos Ooh, bravos where where we uh we learn about westerosi viagra yeah uh we learn that Arya is able to bring fish right into the brothel and then the show comes very very close to having Arya raped i thought it turned away at the last second but come on 
I know that, you know, here we are podcasting about these things months or maybe even a year or so after all this has been filmed and planned and written. But I like to think that, you know, we make a difference in, you know... The the general attitude about watching Game of Thrones and what is acceptable in Game of Thrones. And they when they started showing that and... And the guy keeps saying, too old. Uh, nope, nope. I have never seen a more distasteful borderline pedophilia scene since the butterfly effect. And I never thought I'd ever compare Game of Thrones to the freaking butterfly <laughs> effect. I am really upset tonight. I will say that I like the madam of that place. Mm. She was furious that Arya got anywhere near that guy. <laughs> like that's no, real. I feel that's like not she was happening her in my establishment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Enough that well, it's not happening in her establishment enough that you know Arya wouldn't be involved. But we do get someone to satisfy him in sexual ways and. I really hope that's the end of this plot, but knowing Game of Thrones and the lingering looks between Arya and the man, or the man at Arya, the leering looks from him at Arya, knowing Game of Thrones, that's not going to be the end, and I hope to God, the seven gods, that it is. (laughs) At least it's Arya, which means there's a good chance she's going to stab him in the face. That's very true. She's probably already planning on that. Mm Mm-hmm. But what else? She she just just has to go back to the House of Black and White and say, uh, that guy was supposed to poison. He didn't want any oysters today. Uh, I'll go clean up this latest corpse. You know, uh, just kind of dealing with your inbox of corpses. Uh, yep. The other thing that led us to this weird brothel uh, was um, uh, the Tyrells, uh, or the Master of Coin Tyrell from uh, King's Landing, coming to Bravos to... Uh, visit the Iron Bank. We saw this earlier this season when Cersei, in the place of Tommen, sent him away. Um, I also like to think that he comes here for his artisanal mustache wax. Yes. <laughs> you can't get that just anywhere, you know. No, no. It's not like Valyrian Steel, which apparently the Lannisters have mountains of in King's Landing. <laughs> yeah. I still say there is so much Valyrian Steel in this show. Way more. They mentioned Valyrian Steel so much in the first couple seasons. It did not seem rare at all, which Mm-mm. I think may have been a mistake, because it's going to have to start being rare. That's very true. When I uh, went to get my computer repaired to the Apple Store, I requested Valyrian RAM, and they complied. Oh, uh, nice. It, did they charge was, you extra for that? Oh, of course. It's Apple. Um, <laughs> no, listening to your episode last week about this, um, great episode with you and Jason, by the way, the, um, the way that they talk about Valyrian steel constantly is... It, you're right. It is. It's supposed to be rare. They never talk about any other form of steel. Uh, I guess the only way to really balance it out was would be for every single other character that has any sort of sword to declare proudly what kind of steel they have. But it's not going to be Valyrian. It's not going to be artisanal. It's not going to be interesting. But you're right. They saturated this show with uh, with Valyrian steel very early on, and it still continues today. Yeah. And I think that brings us to Marine. Where the actual action is. Mm, yes, it does. Marine, Marine, Marine. Uh, the big pit fight, which is not in a pit, by the way. I'm no, it was in a very, very big stadium. Weren't they called pit fighters at some point? Did I imagine that? Um, they said, we're I, going to reopen the pits. 
No, they, they definitely called it the pits, and I've refrained from making a mosh pit joke on this show because I know our audience doesn't really <laughs> like metal music. But uh, no, they've definitely called it the pits. Well, at any rate, I think the first thing to look at is the uh, placement of people on Daenerys's dais. Mm, how so? Well, she's sitting next to her fiancé, whose name I never bothered to learn, and now I'm not going to. <laughs> well, we don't need to. Right. On the side of the fiancé is Tyrion, and on the side of Daenerys is Missandei. So it goes Tyrion, fiancé, Daenerys, Missandei. And mm-hmm. then Dario uh, sticks his head right in between the fiancé and Daenerys. That was weird. That was really bad blocking Game of Thrones. <laughs> I thought the blocking was on purpose there. I liked that. Because he's physically trying to drive a wedge between these two. Hmm. Although that doesn't end up mattering on account of that dude's dead and also her old boyfriend is back again. Uh, okay, so I, I mentioned earlier I did not like this episode at all. Uh, right. And... The main reason for it was because the big, like, well-known, classic, hallmark thing of Game of Thrones is the ridiculously huge penultimate episode each season. And I am I know we got something big last week. I know we got some pretty big stuff this week. But I feel like three relatively big things don't make one huge thing the size of Blackwater or the Red Wedding. Um I mean, this whole sequence in uh, Marine was pretty good. They, um, we get some good dialogue early on about the fighting pits, and I, I'm kind of over that subplot. I know it's been a thing this entire season with uh, Daenerys <laughs> resisting opening the fighting pits again, and I know that you know it's a big cultural thing in Marine. But a, hopefully she's going to be in Westeros f- soon, so I don't care. And b, I thought we already got the fighting pits last week. Or two weeks ago, whenever um, whenever Jorah and Tyrion came back and met Daenerys in that, I guess, uh, minor league pits? I don't yeah. know. Well, I feel like the big moment, and let's just jump to the big moment, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stalling. Like, I just wrote down things like, roll and stab, Dora wins, <laughs> but everyone boos him. Just yeah. like last week, they fight is the only thing in my notes. <laughs> well... It was kind of... All right, let's go through the fight quick, shortly, but... Very quick. I thought it was interesting that this time he doesn't do that well. He actually has to work for it. Mm-hmm. Because the last time he just walked out and killed everybody and said, Hi, I'm Jora. Oh, I'm being sent away again? Damn it. <laughs> but, but this time, his second opponent almost killed him, and the spear guy. He was actually better against the spear guy. But he he worked a little harder this time, and I thought that was sort of interesting. But all that stuff and all of the squabbling between Dario and the fiancé about whether the big man or the quick man, blah, 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 that doesn't matter. Because the masks roar out, and there are thousands of these guys. And I feel like you could probably... I have tracked them down by finding out who's making all these masks. That's very true. I mean, that was my favorite moment in this episode, too, but that's still like saying my favorite moment of... I'm not even going to bother making comparison. It was a good moment, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's still not a very good enough ep- episode to warrant it. It's, um, it reminded me a lot of V for Vendetta or Attack of the Clones, and uh, again, two <laughs> oh, more movies dear. I never wanted to compare Game of Thrones to. <laughs> well, to be fair, I compared it to Chained Heat a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> 
<laughs> and which, Black Dynamite. I'm, well, Black Dynamite is awesome. <laughs> Chained Heat is not awesome. Mm. But I think we're supposed to be super excited that Daenerys rode a dragon around. Yes. But in terms of how I felt about it, that was not as cool as that time she said Dracaris and it burned that guy. Agreed. Um, I feel like riding the dragon was a pretty big leap forward in her, I don't know, relationship with Drogon, especially because he's been AWOL this entire season. But you're right. It was nowhere near as cool or big for us as um, as something like that, Jakaris. Uh, another thing, going off of that uh, very briefly, I feel bad that HBO spent all of this money on this penultimate episode for this season. And I really hope I'm not alone in being underwhelmed by it, especially because, you know, compared to the Red Wedding or Blackwater or the Siege on the Wall last season, this is nowhere near as uh, big, plot-heavy, or spectacular. It was still a good, spectacular sequence, uh, but maybe more comparable to the last uh, Harpy Massacre, uh, what, season four or five? Or episode four or five? Well, I think part of the reason it seemed underwhelming is that it was really short, it was only like 53, 52 minutes. That's true. I didn't even notice that. I guess because HBO mucks it up with uh, all these ads in the beginning and then behind the scenes stuff at the end. I didn't even notice how long the episode was. All I knew is that it felt it felt long because this is what they spent the majority of the episode on. But you're right. This, If it was only 53 minutes, that's a relatively short episode for Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, but... So the fiancé dies, and mm-hmm. nobody cares that much. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. There's this moment when Daenerys, Missandei, Tyrion, Dario, Jorah, and a bunch of Unsullied are surrounded. And then the fight just goes on from there until Drogon shows up and starts burning people. I, I thought... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, then I think Daenerys hops on her dragon and leaves, which is the correct play. Mm-hmm. This city is between the people she killed when she first got here and the people the guys in masks killed this time. There's not enough of Marine left to rule over. Hmm. You're you're right. I'd never thought about that. And I guess the question now is what's going to happen? The last episode, which I wish I could have been on the podcast with you guys to talk about, but the scene between Daenerys and Tyrion, while Tyrion is drinking and Daenerys says, no, please have a level head if you're going to advise me, <laughs> uh, the the way that Tyrion very bluntly said, you want to come to King's Landing, you want to come to Westeros and rule, and Daenerys agreed, and she didn't... Um, and she didn't deny him, and she gave that wonderful uh, wheel speech about the spokes on the wheel. Yeah. And I was expecting that to be much more of an internal struggle for her. I guess that's my theme for this uh, whole season, is expecting much more uh, character stuff and drama than there actually is, because the show just kind of flings characters places and makes them deal with things. And now here she is on a dragon uh, after facilitating a ritual she hates for people that hate her and want to kill her, she has a one-way ticket over to Westeros. She has a dragon. She can fly it across the narrow sea. Yeah. What's going to happen? Well, it would be nice if she went back to get her other two dragons. Like, mm. that's a valid reason for her to stick around. But Drogon, while it shouted in her face, did not incinerate her. And I thought kind of smiled at her when she reached up to scratch her, its face. Mm-hmm. 
So if she can go apologize to the other two dragons, maybe toss them a few conspirators, <laughs> then I think she's ready to... Having lost her, what, second or third army at this point. Mm-hmm. Because uh, she had called Drogo's guys, and I think those guys are long dead. And then she had the Unsullied, and they don't seem to be around anymore. Yeah, it's, uh, what else does she have? Uh, especially because this was like the big centerpiece of this episode was the big fight at the end in Marine in the pits. And I, I, I understand why that is the main thing. Uh, but character-wise for Daenerys, there was not much. All she did was just kind of walk around. And now it's interesting, especially because we're talking about what's going to happen next in comparison to everything else. But this episode had none of that. There was no good dialogue between Daenerys and Tyrion or anybody. All The only good dialogue, or not even good dialogue, the only dialogue we get from Daenerys with other people is talking about how horrible the ritual is and betting on people's lives. And we've gotten a season full of that. Yeah. I'm sick of it. All of the dialogue centered around the fiance. Tyrion talks to the fiance, Dario talked to the fiance, Daenerys talked to the fiance, but then the fiance dies. I mm-hmm. thought it was interesting that when Daenerys kind of she closed her eyes and seemed to accept whatever was going to happen, she took Masande's hand. And now maybe mm-hmm. that's because uh Jorah and Dario were busy killing people. <laughs> But I like that Missandei has survived this long, and Daenerys trusts her. Mm-hmm. It's a tiny moment of sweetness in a fairly dark show. That's very true. And you were talking last week about how drab and dreary all of the scenes in the North are, and even the scenes in King's Landing last week were, you know, very dark and drab and in a cell with Cersei. Uh, we got no Cersei. I was 100% expecting the big climax of penultimate episode of season five to be, uh, to be her trial. Anyway, um, this was also a moment of, uh, color, brightness, and sweetness in a way. Um, even though the ultimate bad guys in Marine are wearing, you know, bright gold masks. <laughs> There, uh, this is still a nice visually like s- stimulating part of the show, especially when things are so dark and drab. Yeah, they're outside in the daylight for once. How nice! <laughs> yeah, and even the uh, House of Black and White is, you know, the House of Black and White. It's very boring. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the title, "The Dance of Dragons," I guess has two meanings. Mm-hmm. One, there's the fact that Shireen was literally reading a book called The Dance of Dragons. Apparently, I, she didn't get to the end of it before... Uh, <laughs> would add spoilers. Yeah. But then it, there's the metaphorical Dany uh, hopping on a dragon. That's true. I mean... So when I saw Dance of Dragons, I thought it would have something very big to do with the book. I do not know what happens in the book, but none of the stuff in this episode feels big enough to justify uh, titling one of the five or six books of Game of Thrones after it. Um, I, God, going back to uh, the scene with Stannis and his daughter, I... I knew as soon as there was this really, really sweet moments of uh, the Onion Knight giving her the uh, the little toy and um, 
the giving her the little toy and uh, talking about the book and coming back soon from uh, from Castle Black. <laughs> I, you know, Game of Thrones is going to take all of that away as soon as it gives it to you. Yeah. Uh, especially, it, it was in the same vein as I will tell you about your mother uh, when you come <laughs> back, says Ned. Or last episode, no kids, get on the uh, boats. I'm right mm. behind you, I promise. <laughs> For a show that's so like notoriously unexpected and does things that are very unexpected, it's starting to develop a little bit of a language that we can pick up on and be like, oh, she's going to die. Oh, that's going to happen. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Things like that. Well, it's what, the ninth episode of the fifth season. So we've had 49 of these episodes. <laughs> We're going to pick up on its language eventually. That's oh, oh. true, but each season used to have a very distinct feel, and I feel like season five so far, after watching the show for years, has felt the most textbook and very traditional television show production in that it just moves from one thing to the next to the next to the next with little traditional hints dropped here and there. And I don't want to say I'm bored because the stuff happening is interesting, but I feel like HBO and the production behind it and the writers can do better. Well, hopefully they will. There's still one episode for them to pull this season out. That's very true. Um, do you have anything else in your notes? Uh, that is all I have. The uh, the one thing I want to bring up is I was half hoping that at the end of this fight, uh, someone's going to crouch down and take a golden mask off someone Scooby-Doo style and figure out who the heck uh, was doing it. Mr. Johnson, that's right. I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling dragons. Well, the problem there is, although... Daenerys has been in Marine forever. There isn't anyone in Marine for it to be for us to care about. Like, mm-hmm. unless it's literally Varys, <laughs> nobody else has even said Marine. Like, I was hoping that at the beginning of the Marine scene, the fiance came up and said, I was just making, let me uh, get this quote exactly correct, just making sure everything is in order. And I thought, ah, maybe this guy has said, nope, he's a. Uh, He's just a stooge. Yep. Uh, very stoogy indeed, and not one of the three entertaining ones. Yeah. All Take right. That, well, Curly uh, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was sufficiently disappointed by this penultimate episode. I wish there was more to it, especially given how great last week's was. And here's hoping season or season episode 10 is better. I share that hope. Well, (laughs) thank you for joining me again, Brian. Thank you for having me back on, Monty. Hopefully I will see you next week for the finale. And also Jason. And also Jason, if one of us hasn't died yet. Yes. Game of Thrones writers. Bye, everybody. Bye.